Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of your favorite podcast, Rock and Ramble. You're here, as always, with your hosts, Andrea. And Victoria. Today, we are talking about a band that, for some reason, always makes me think of Survivor. Not the show, the band. Oh. But mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any kind of correlation. I guess we'll find out. What band is it, Victoria? We are talking about Triumph. All right. Yes. So, Triumph is a Canadian rock band uh, with three main members and they are rick emmett on vocals and guitar mike levine on guitar and keyboard and gil moore uh, vocals and drums and there's not a whole lot of turnover in this band so when they were starting out um levine and moore were originally part of a band called Abernathy Shagnaster. <laughs> some of some of the nice. articles that referred to this band called it Abernathy Shagnaster's Wash and Wear Band, but then some of them just call them Abernathy Shagnaster. So I'm not sure which one it is, um, but the first two words are for sure. I don't know where they got that from. Shagnaster. Uh, yeah, not master with an M. It's Naster with yeah. an N, like Nancy. Nancy. Shag- yeah, Shagnaster. Abernathy Shagnaster. But so they I say that five times fast. <laughs> uh, Abernathy Shagnaster. No, I can't because even the Shagnaster. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, Levine and Moore were originally part of that band, and then it was four people, and two of the people left, and they met Rick Emmett in the summer of 1975, and were like jamming out together. Really enjoyed it. Felt the chemistry, and they're like decided to become a band. So in the summer of 75 is when they became officially Triumph. And you might have noticed when you've listened to songs before, but they're very often compared to the Canadian band Rush, who it has similar ah. sounding music, and they're also fellow Canadians. Um, right. And Rush, though, I will say, is more like well-known, more widely known, I guess, and commercially right, right. successful. So they're, you know, I don't think they're like truly Today's like rivals so by any means. I just mean like... A lot of people are like, oh, they kind of sound like Rush. And their right. Rush is referenced in a lot of the articles I read about this band. Um, so, yeah. So, this is going to be pretty fast and furious, if I'm being honest. So, they <laughs> Well, have, if there wasn't a lot of turnover. Yeah. They, they have 10 studio albums. And something we've yeah. talked about now in a couple of episodes is... Um, where you and I are from is San Antonio. So, that's going to be important in this band so their first album is released in 1976 and at first it's just self-titled as triumph it's later re-released and titled in the beginning so it's the same Mm -hmm. album um Mm -hmm. and not a lot of no hits or anything like that there is a song called blinding light show and they end up becoming a band that during their live shows they're known for like their their crazy lighting and they have lasers and pyrotechnics and they're really big into those kind of um performances so Mm -hmm. um yeah their song blinding light show is kind of referencing that too and this album the reason it's well i mean it's important because everybody needs it first but this album became a favorite of a radio dj in san antonio texas at the time, it was 99.5 Kiss FM was playing this, so not KZEP 104.5, which we've talked about. Right. But um, right. that DJ was Joe Anthony, and 
in a lot of the different things I was reading, he's nicknamed San Antonio's the God- Godfather. Godfather of rock and roll. Yeah. Yes. And oh my gosh. Yeah. My dad and my mom and my uncle Dennis, they were just talking about him and like the <laughs> influence that he had um, yes. on music and and that's why that's why San Antonio was such a hub for classic rock or rock at that time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The Godfather. Yeah, they, him and then, like, his boss, but also, I guess, fellow DJ, Lou Roney, were both mm-hmm. very influential in the rock and roll market yeah. for this area. And they decided mm-hmm. what they wanted to play. And Joe Anthony listened mm-hmm. to Triumph, liked it. And so he was putting them on heavy rotation here. And so nice. a lot of people in San Antonio and, of course, the surrounding areas started to hear them a lot more and so they became very um just well known in texas so that's important because in february of 1977 so they released that album in 76 in february 77 um sammy hagar which we've talked about before from van halen but this is before those days um he had a chance to open for kiss at a different time but he was scheduled to play in san antonio at the municipal auditorium and because he was not able to do it anymore, Joe Anthony and like his team were like, hey, there's a band that we like here and they've got a good following here in San Antonio now or like building. You should try to get them. So they reached out. And at first Triumph was like, uh, I don't think we're ready. <laughs> like, but they had okay. realized already that San Antonio and Corpus and Houston had started kind of listening to their album because at first their album was initially only released in canada but it was like Mm -hmm. canada plus some of texas Texas. so (laughs) it's strange but they decided you know what let's take the opportunity because why not and they didn't even know like the little details like okay how are we going to pay for all of our gear to get down there and we don't have visas and all this stuff and there was even like a rumor supposedly that the lou roney guy like possibly um, impersonated an immigration attorney to be able to like get them down here like what? in enough time and because uh, they needed uh-huh. like special visas and things like that and yeah the when the triumph was interviewed about it they're like i don't know how it worked but it worked so <laughs> we got there <laughs> and we can't say anything but <laughs> yeah and they were really nervous because it was going to be one their biggest concert and that's opening for kiss no, sorry. Sammy Hagar went off to go do that. That's why he ended up oh, um, not okay. doing the San Antonio show. It was like a radio promotion, I think, or um, mm-hmm. something to that effect. So they, Triumph was really nervous. They had they knew that San Antonio and like Texas was, you know, one of their supporters at this point pretty early on. Mm-hmm. But they were still like, it's a big place. It's a big club. Yeah. Like, I mean, not club, but big, you know, Almost stadium. as big as Canada. And, <laughs> but... <laughs> So they were really nervous, and they were quoted as saying, like, once they walked on stage, though, and everybody was so excited to see them that they were like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is going to be a lot of fun. And so they ended up oh. having a blast and did really well there. So that happened in 77, went really well, and they went on to go do a few more shows in Sammy Hagar's place, I think. Um, I mean, I think they did. Um So then they released their second album, which comes out later that same year, 1977, this in November. And so we've talked about how 
at this time, bands not only are releasing music really quickly, but are just like able to knock them out right away. Like there's some bands doing them in like 10 days, you know, writing, recording, Mm -hmm. all that. And so this one has a cover of Joe Walsh's Rocky Mountain Way, and that's one of their bigger songs on this album. It did really well for, for their second album. And they have a song called Little Texas Shaker, and you should go listen oh. to it, and it'll, okay. we'll put it on our playlist. It's, it is a really good song, and there's one of the lyrics is, the boys were rocking and rolling down in San Antonio, in old San Antonio. Aww. So it's like, it's about San Antonio, and it's about yeah. like, this brown-eyed girl, like, shake your money maker kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is a quote from the band's website, so the Triumph website. It says, both Triumph... And Rock and Roll Machine, which are the name of the first two albums, were first released only in Canada and garnered significant airplay in Texas. The Lone Star State has always been a prime United States market for hard rock fans. Hard rock and fans responded so favorably that Triumph specifically undertook a Texas tour to promote Rock and Roll Machine. So I went and I found a website that shows like some, I don't know how thorough it is, but um, uh-huh. past tours for certain bands and if you look at triumph in like 77 78 and in, in the next few years so many are texas like they go around the world <laughs> and they come back to the united states they go all these places and then there's like five shows in texas like san antonio houston austin nice. dallas and they're just they're really getting texas a good show that didn't make any Hell sense yeah. they're really giving a lot of shows to Texans, which was really cool. So I was like, man, that is so neat. Yeah. And it's crazy um, to think about. So you brought up like how your family knew the godfather of San Antonio rock yeah. and roll like so quickly. And it's just Yeah, I'm sure my parents or my uncle or all of them were at one of those Triumph shows. Yeah. And it's just really interesting to me because comparing like music now to music then. So we have playlists. Mm-hmm. We have our music um gets to us in different ways of course but also like who's influencing our music and who's like kind of curating the music for us i mean spotify apple they create their own playlists too but they're if you're not listening right. to the radio there's no one really kind of guiding you you know unless it's we like don't have recommendations but the other thing is like that's at a time when radio stations were a lot more localized like that dj was from right. san antonio and influencing the San Antonio market. Whereas now, right. like a lot of, not all, but a lot of the bigger radio stations mm-hmm. are like huge, like umbrella Syndicated. corporations, like, you know, iHeartRadio, which we right. enjoy because our podcast can be found on iHeartRadio. But yes, also, you, iHeartRadio. like, you know, what we're listening to on, you know, our country station is the same mm-hmm. exact stuff that, you know, 10 other cities or more probably are listening to right. the same song, same DJ, right. and calling in isn't the same and all that. And so I just think that's really mm-hmm. interesting to think of, like, how different the influence a DJ had at that time. Um, sure. And especially because once I saw that and I kept kind of digging in, there's so many articles about Triumph, Triumph's tie to San Antonio. And so mm-hmm. that, like, really influenced this area. And we had talked about it before with the, some other bands and Joe Anthony, that DJ is kind of credited with like bringing a lot of bands to yes. San Antonio that would probably not have come here. Right. If, you know, he hadn't done that because it would have just been like another, you know, Southern city. And honestly, probably Houston or Dallas probably would have gotten more recognition because that's pretty typical for Texas shows, I think. 
So yeah, I just found that fascinating. Well, big thank you to Joe Anthony, the Godfather, for making San Antonio such a hub of awesome rock and roll music. Yeah, you now classic rock and you know, mm-hmm. providing our parents with the shows that we wish we could have attended ourselves. Yeah, because I was trying to, I looked into it to see, like, was that someone I would have known? Because, you know, like mm-hmm. we've talked about when we were growing up, the stuff we were listening to, but he passed in, yeah. I think, 1992, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. have known or realized no. any of that for sure. Right, right. So that was their first two albums, and again, pretty heavily tied to Texas after the first one comes out. So That's awesome. Yeah, really yeah. cool, especially since we've kind of been... expecting that with Triumph. Yeah, we've been kind of dancing around like, hmm, San Antonio seems like keeps coming up or has come up a few times. And then, yeah, this Canadian yeah. band of all the bands, not even like a Southern band or something like... It just gives me another reason to be proud of coming from San Antonio. <laughs> just another reason. Very proud of San Antonio. And this is another reason why. Yeah. So their next album is called Just a Game. They released it in 1979. And this is kind of considered their commercially their breakthrough album. Um, It went to number 48 on the charts. And I say the charts because like you and I have talked about like, my goodness, there's so many kinds of like billboards charts. Like it's just kind of ridiculous. So I'm just going to say the charts in general. Yeah. Um, there were so many, and they had to like pinpoint a genre, and some of the bands didn't yeah. fit into a specific so genre. It's, so the yeah. chart. <laughs> I don't want to specify more because then I'll end up being right. like, but on this chart it said this, but on this chart and exactly, nah. yeah. After just a game, their fourth album is called Progressions of Power. They released it in 1980, and this is the one that has my favorite song: is Fight the Good Fight. I love that song. That song. Mm. Um, so we don't do like road trip CDs anymore because our our cars don't have CD players, which is crazy to me. So we do playlists. And that song, when we go on a road trip to like the beach or when we went to Utah and we're upcoming going to Colorado, that song is <laughs> the one that I have to start the road trip off with because it's just going to fire me up. And on travel days, I'm not a morning person, but on travel days I am. And this song is like perfect for <laughs> me to get in like mm-hmm. fired up and like, I don't know. And I like it also because not only is it like a powerful like rock kind of song, it's like an inspiring and really good <laughs> message. And I just really love it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And they also have another song that is pretty popular. Um, I didn't know it before until I listened through the albums, but it's called I Live for the Weekend. And it's like a kind of classic, like, you know, the week is a drag and can't wait to let loose on the weekend you know classic mm-hmm. little song um and then they released their fifth album in 80 in 1981 called allied forces 1983 is their sixth album never surrender and that's their highest charting album it goes to number 23 on the u.s charts and that is a song okay. called a world of fantasy mm-hmm. and then over the next few years they release their seventh eighth and ninth albums but those are just they don't do as well as the other albums as the previous albums and they're kind of mm-hmm. like what's the right word I'm trying to remember the reviews just aren't that great for it it's just kind of like not not anything brand new but like also plateau. yeah it's just hit a plateau yeah plateau is a good word for that yes mm-hmm. 
a and lot. I mean, you see that with a lot of bands. It's like they have a lot of momentum and then maybe yeah. something happens or maybe they just kind of run out of steam and they kind of mm-hmm. kind of level out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in 1988, after their ninth album, uh, Rick Emmett, the lead singer, the lead vocalist, mm-hmm. leaves and is replaced by a person named Phil X. And they release hmm. one more album called The Edge of Excess in 1992. And it's the only album that they released with him Mm -hmm. and it's also their last album so um later on the two levine and Moore, um they talk about like yeah that was kind of a mistake we should have just stopped or like Mm -hmm. not that we shouldn't have made the album but we shouldn't have called it a triumph album because without rick emmett it wasn't triumph anymore we were just still making music under the name and it really wasn't triumph anymore yeah so and that makes sense one I wonder about that because, again, you see that a lot with, with bands. Um, I mean, pretty much every band mm-hmm. we've we've worked on. Um, most recently, I'm thinking of uh, the Marshall Tucker Band. Mm-hmm. Like, after a certain time, like, the er, uh, like mid-late 80s, it was the late 80s, is when they released an album, like their first album with just two of the founding members. Mm-hmm. And now in the band, there's only one original member left in the band, but they're still, he is a singer. So mm-hmm. that maybe carries more weight because it kind of helps, like, um, it helps people, like, pick out the sound. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Um, it's distinct. Because you can't way. really, yeah, yeah, it's more distinct because I, I, I'm sure. Like, musicians and people that have a real good ear for music can decipher. It always makes me think of uh, that John Mayer song, like, She Could Tell Miles from Coltrane. Mm. Um, Comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's such a good song, too. But, I I mean, if I'm listening to a guitar being played, I, I can tell you if it's good or if I think it's bad, but I can't tell you, like stylistically like who it is you know what I mean right so if I'm listening to instruments I can't recognize that I don't have the ear for that but I know that people do oh yeah um, have have the ear for that Mm -hmm. and but I can decipher voices (laughs) and you know tonality and and stuff like I can hear a voice and be like oh that's you know Doug Gray or that's Joe Walsh or you know Mm -hmm. whoever Robert Plant, like, especially people who have really distinct voices. So Mm -hmm. maybe that carries more weight. But it is all that to say it is interesting and hard sometimes to to still think of a band as like, you know, triumph if there's only, you know, they're they're not all together. It's not the original members Mm -hmm. that made the band so successful. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because that makes me think of um, Whitesnake, like David Coverdale, because he was the one constant in it all. And I never knew because, like you said, I don't recognize the differences in the instruments and like, oh, that's clearly uh, this person, you know, as the guitarist. That's that's Steve I on the guitar now. But it's, you know, David Coverdale's voice. So that's why it's snake yes. to me. Like that's just how I yeah. recognize it in my untrained with my untrained ears. So. Yeah, that's exactly it. So so yeah. it works. It, it, I mean, it, you could dupe us. <laughs> you oh dupe us. Yes, yes dupe us. Could. Sorry, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know what you said. Um, yeah. The other thing is that so they had ten albums, 
And it's interesting because there are a lot of bands who have a lot more than that. There are some who have less, but had like maybe more success and things like that. But it's interesting to think of like, okay, so like Tom Petty even Mm -hmm. was continuing to release albums and a lot of them were still really, really good and had great songs on it. And there's like an interesting topic to think of like, okay, well, what if these bands, a lot of them probably don't to an extent care about the success at all. And it's just more of like their outlet or they just want to write and they enjoy the process of making the music. So maybe them like, oh, it's not getting well reviewed or it's like they've plateaued like in the critic's eyes or in like, you know, the -hmm. consumer's eyes, it might not matter at all to them. But then it's also really impressive to see other bands who are continuing to make music and it is still doing commercially well or like yeah oh their 11th album and oh i can't wait to hear it and you know go over this and that and it's just really interesting because it doesn't mean that it wasn't good or that they didn't enjoy it it Mm -hmm. just you know i guess the nature of releasing music and (laughs) you don't know how it's gonna go but hopefully at least you enjoyed the process or you really wanted to or needed to create those songs for you know Mm -hmm. the artist's sake not necessarily like how is it going to be perceived out in the world so i don't know yeah that was worth no that that, (laughs) it's a lot to think about a lot to think it like take in Mm -hmm. and it does make you make you think yeah so in 2008 they were inducted into the canadian music hall of fame the trio back to the emmett and moore and levine And they have performed on and off again for different occasions, but they're not touring currently or performing or anything like that. And since then, since releasing all that music, uh, Rick Emmett, actually this was in the 80s, so he has contributed to um, a magazine called Hit Parader as a cartoonist. And yeah, I thought, I was like, well, that's different. And he's written for the Songwriter Magazine, and he has taught songwriting and music business courses at Humber College in Toronto. So Cool. Yeah. And he had his own solo career, and he has at least 11 studio albums, plus live albums and Christmas albums. So he's busy. Like, oh, wow. This yeah, seriously. Going on. <sighs> and then um, <clears throat> Mike Levine is... <laughs> Honestly, for the where is he now kind of thing, I mean, he's live and kicking, but it's kind of hard to tell, like, what he's really up to. Um, Mm -hmm. But he was, this is just kind of an interesting fact, I guess. Um, So, like I mentioned with the Fight the Good Fight song, it's, like, a positive song and, like, kind of inspiring, like, fired you up. Right. And so they're Mm -hmm. kind of known as, like, a positive band for the most part, like, Maybe that's why I think of Survivor, because it's, like, Oh, maybe, and, like, Triumph and, like, Winning and... Yeah, like Rocky. I don't know. I don't know why I think of them together. <laughs> well, um, he was kind of known, and Triumph is the band, but um, mm-hmm. at the end of concerts, he would yell, Triumph loves you, to the audience every time. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, uh-huh. that's kind of cool. And But only in San Antonio. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and then Gil Moore, he owns and operates a studio called Metalworks, And it was constructed at first only for, like, Triumph to record. But now Mm -hmm. it has had so many people there um, who have recorded there, including Christina Aguilera, 
Bare Naked Ladies, Drake, David hmm. Bowie, The Cranberries, <laughs> um, Ooh, yeah. DMX, D12, Guns N' Roses, Katy Perry, Lights, Demi Lovato, um, In Sync, Our Lady Peace, Prince, Rush. Wow. So, and then there's some other, like, kind of more emo ones, honestly, um, like Sum 41. And yeah. I can't remember. Is Pop it punk? Alex is on. No, Alex is on fire. Alex is on fire. Yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. wait, I said um, Toto, Chance the Rapper. City there's just like so many. So his studio is doing really well <laughs> or has done. And uh, Aerosmith and Jonas Brothers apparently have also recorded wow. there. Yeah. So the last thing is um, there actually was a lot of San Antonio related stuff because they had just done an interview for a documentary that was released last month. But um, mm. I I have not watched it yet. The, I think I might be able to watch it now, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you could watch it only bef- before. You could only watch it on, it's called nugs.net. So <laughs> I mm-hmm. didn't have access to that, I think. And um, it's called Triumph, the Rock and Roll Machine, uh, based on the name of their second album. And so the San Antonio Current and San Antonio Business Journal and a few others have, like, referenced it and, like, tied in their history with Triumph. So mm-hmm. that was interesting. And mm. that's all I have for Triumph, unless you have any questions. Nice. And I can't guarantee I'll answer them. But <laughs> um, No, I don't. But uh, whenever I was singing so alexis on fire the only song that i know from them is um this could be anywhere in the world where they're like Mm. the city Mm -hmm. city is haunted and it's um i whenever i was singing it earlier i think i said like it was burning or something oh (laughs) but it's actually the city is haunted by ghosts and then it's like, ghosts from broken homes. You know that song, right? Yeah, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> That's a good song. Um, we should get stuck in my head. We should That's do like a, an emo uh, An emo podcast? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would love that so much. <laughs> I'm ready. We <laughs> Right now. Let's do it right now. Uh, I don't even have to do any like research. We'll just go off of what any what we've known and because that's our that's our genre. Like we grew up going to Warp Tour and not sneaking out of the house, but we would like <laughs> tell each like tell our parents that we were like at each other's houses mm-hmm. and then like go try to see shows and sometimes the shows were sold out and mm-hmm. we would just like drive by with the windows down like trying to catch <laughs> some of the music. <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, man, the, what was the name? Oh, the Sanctuary in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. That was a real good spot. I loved it because of how intimate it was. And I always felt like super, mm-hmm. super cool to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had the, and White, the White Rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Those two, I think, were the, I passed out at the White Rabbit like so many times. <laughs> <laughs> and at Warped Not Tour. Not because. Almost. Yeah, at Warped Tour. I used to get like really, um, uh, that sounds really bad that I passed out. I wasn't like drinking or anything because obviously I was underage, but um, I would get like heat. I, I was very sensitive to the heat. <laughs> and honestly, looking back, I was probably just like severely dehydrated because I wasn't drinking enough water. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I would get like because we would get there so early and we'd just be like waiting in line and you're just like getting beat down by the sun. Mm-hmm. And then 
you know, you're in this crowd, literally like bumper to bumper with the person in front of you and behind you, just like squished in there. And then this kind of music that we're listening to, of course, there's like mosh pits and people like as Mm -hmm. soon as the band comes on, everybody, you move like five feet forward, but everybody does and it like squishes tighter. Yeah. And so, yeah, one of the times I remember it was at the used, um, I can't I don't think you were there with this one. It was like with Megan and Derek, my sister Mm -hmm. and brother-in-law. And I, like, I started feeling so bad. We were so close to the front and it was, the blood was coming on. They were going to open. Yeah. They were going to (laughs) open for the used. And I started feeling like I started getting like the tunnel vision and like my hearing was going out and I like put my arms up on the person in front of me and I just like rested my head and Megan was like, what are you doing? And I was like going limp. And so everybody just like picked me up because we were so close to the front. They picked me up and just like threw me over the barricade. Yeah. (laughs) Like splat on the other side. And then they gave me a water and, like, set me down at a table outside. And then I was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Like, we're in the very back now. And then, um, gosh, I I think Cameron was there, too. Uh, No, he was there. Yeah, he was there at that show because he saw me. And I think he actually helped carry me. Oh, good memories. But I think that's also the time that I got to meet Burt McCracken. So, totally uh, worth it. That totally worth it. That reminds me of my story. I know we're so rambling here. and That's the point. Of, <laughs> oh, I know. I'm sorry. Happen, and probably if you're into classic rock and not emo, you're like, what the... F-? Just just skip ahead. Well, just fast forward this part. <laughs> when I went to go see The Used at Stubbs it, with Pedro, I can't remember what year I was, it was. there. Yeah, but um, do you remember that there was like the sprint yes like competition and pedro and had y'all sprint. won yeah i didn't have sprint he did mm-hmm. but we entered to be able to meet them backstage mm-hmm. pedro's yeah. phone so we entered both of us and he won but his phone did not have service and we didn't know <gasps> until the end of the concert after Aww. like we're gone when you know how like especially like older phones like once you have <sighs> service then you get like you know your flood of messages or missed calls or whatever mm-hmm. it was that you weren't getting and he mm-hmm. opened and he was like oh you're gonna be so mad and i was like why <laughs> he was like oh uh, we won and we could have met the remember band and i was like are you oh! kidding me i was so i remember because i think i rode with y'all yeah probably but yeah, yeah that same show because y'all like went off to do either like enter that or something, but I was in the crowd by myself. And um, I remember because it was like right at my birthday again. And um, Burt McCracken, there was like that drum line, remember mm-hmm. that drum band? And Burt McCracken got one of their drumsticks and he just threw it out in the crowd. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a miracle. I just stuck my hand up and it came straight to me and I caught it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I still have that drumstick. It's. Um, <laughs> This is like making, I mean, I am a nerd, but this makes me really sound like a nerd. So I have that drumstick and I have it like displayed with my Harry Potter wands. <laughs> I must it's be a nerd too because I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> cool. That's really neat. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like on par with the, the yeah. specialness a of, magician. of them. A magician. <laughs> magician. I can't say it. Musician. Magician. <laughs> No, I, d- I don't 
Honestly, I don't know how I even caught it because I was literally like squished in a crowd. And I remember like sticking my hand up and it went in and I just like brought it down and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to get jumped. Like, so, <laughs> so I like just. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. But I'm sorry y'all didn't get to meet them. Yeah. Um, it's a bummer. You know. Yeah. We, I, in, in all honesty, like after the show was over that night that I was there with Megan and we met Bert. Uh, we did have to wait for like two hours for them to come mm-hmm. off the bus. Yeah. But totally worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> well, now we are dangling <laughs> down to our my one hit wonder spotlight. And um, I was wanting to tie it in to the band. I was really mm-hmm. struggling. And then I picked, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to tie it in. I'm just going to pick one and... One came to me, and I was like, oh, this is a good song. I'm going to do this one. And mm-hmm. then I was like, wait, I didn't even mean to, but it has a, a tiny little tie-in, like a single word. So it is, and everybody knows this song. Everybody. It's Kung Fu Fighting by Carl Douglas. So fight the good fight, Kung Fu Fighting, a little bit. Hey. Tiny, tiny little correlation. Totally ties in. That totally, totally ties in. <laughs> So, Everybody was kung fu fighting. <gasps> yeah. Those cats were fast as lightning. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> and <gasps> it was actually like kind of on accident. So it was recorded to be a B-side um, to a different mm-hmm. song called I Want to Give You My Everything. And it was recorded mm-hmm. in only two takes. And like that, those little sound effects like that. Ha! Like all that huh. was exaggerated because they were just like he was kind of like goofing around like it's mm. not taking it too seriously because he was like it's a B side and he yeah. just kind of played that up and the record label heard it and was like oh no this is this is going out like this is the one we're gonna put out so luckily they did and at first when it first was released it wasn't doing well it sold really poorly until the dance clubs started making it popular. And that's when it became bigger. And also, so it was released in 1974. And the Kung Fu movies are like, you know, really big at this time. Like Jackie Chan is pretty. Oh, I guess Jackie Chan is way, way after. (laughs) Well, I mean, we know him as an older guy, but he might have been pretty big then too. But Bruce Lee, yeah. But Bruce Lee was more, I think, prominent at that time. Mm -hmm. So that became a huge song for them. And it's obviously still really well known and immediately mm-hmm. recognizable and in tons of movies and shows and all that still. So mm-hmm. definitely still big. And I did not know any of his other songs. It is labeled as a one-hit <laughs> wonder. And again, our one-hit yeah. wonder thing is still like, you know, some people might not agree completely. But yeah, for this purpose, it's a one-hit wonder. Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope you, you know, learned something about Triumph and... Honestly, just yeah. trying to get little snack size pieces of information. So if you're ever around someone and a song comes on, you're like, oh, did you know? And you just <laughs> could maybe be cooler. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Did you know that uh, Joe Anthony is the reason Triumph was so big in San Antonio? <laughs> exactly. It's make just you sound really, really cool. Little nuggets of knowledge like that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> check us out on Facebook <laughs> and Instagram. <laughs> Like us, subscribe, comment, leave us a review. Oh, a review. Leave us a Rate review. Rate us. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, yeah. we, we want to hear from y'all. We do. Please. 
Until next time, rock out and ramble on. <laughs>